Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. From KQED. This is the California Report. Good morning. I'm Lily Jamali. We begin this morning in the North State where fire crews have made significant progress on the Fawn Fire burning north of Redding in Shasta County. Here's Scott Korn, Deputy Incident Commander with CAL FIRE, speaking at a briefing last night. We can officially declare the forward spread of this fire stop. However, you must remain vigilant and so must the crews still on this fire. There's still a lot of work to be done, a lot of hazards to be mitigated. Was saying that we are working tirelessly to get you folks back into your residences, back to your homes, and back to a sense of normalcy. That will be our shift and focus in our effort in the next coming days. A Palo Alto woman has been accused of starting the fire. She faces felony arson charges. Authorities are also investigating if she's linked to other fires in Shasta County. The Fawn Fire has burned more than 8,500 acres and destroyed nearly 150 structures, including 70 homes. Evacuation orders have been in place and remain for several communities as thousands more structures are still threatened. Well, prosecutors in Shasta County have criminally charged the utility PG&E for the Zog fire, which killed four people, including an eight-year-old girl, one year ago today. On Friday, District Attorney Stephanie Bridget announced 31 charges. Eleven of them are felonies and include manslaughter. At a press conference, D.A. Bridget took a moment to read the names of the people who died trying to flee the flames. Fela McLeod, age eight. Elena Rowe McLeod, age 46. Kenneth Bossen, age 52. And Karen King, age 79. This marks the second time PG&E has faced manslaughter charges in as many years. Last year, the company pleaded guilty to 84 counts of involuntary manslaughter for the campfire, which destroyed the town of Paradise. As was the case then, these charges are being lodged against PG&E, the company, but Bridget noted she isn't done, saying she'll continue to build her case with an eye on charging individual people. PG&E quickly weighed in on Friday, CEO Patty Poppy coming out with a video which began with her saying that her heart aches for the loss. But she also gave a glimpse into what PG&E's arguments might be in court. Poppy contends that two arborists had independently walked the stretch of line where the Zog fire sparked and had both determined that the tree that started the fire could remain. We've accepted CAL FIRE's determination reached earlier this year that a tree contacted our electric line and started the Zog fire. We accept that conclusion, but we did not commit a crime. 
But the district attorney says the tree had been flagged as hazardous and that PG&E had a duty to remove it. Not doing so, she said, was reckless and criminally negligent. The Zog fire burned more than 50,000 acres in Shasta and Tehama counties last year and destroyed more than 200 structures in addition to the lives lost. Well, crews continue to struggle as they battle two large fires burning in Sequoia National Park. The KNP Complex fire has burned more than 45,000 acres and is 8 percent contained. Meanwhile, to the south, the Windy Fire has burned more than 82,000 acres and is only 2 percent contained. Windy weather is expected over the next couple of days, which has fire officials concerned about the possibility of spot fires, especially on the eastern sides of both blazes. But that wind could also help, as it will likely move some of the smoke out of the area, improving visibility and opening up the possibility of aircraft being used to fight the fire. Crews have, for the most part, been able to protect many of the iconic giant sequoias in the area. Californians with the most basic homeowners insurance policies have long complained that when disasters strike, they don't have enough coverage to pay for all of their expenses. But change is coming. The California Report, Saul Gonzalez, explains. Saul? Lily, Californians who can't find affordable property insurance on the open market often turn to the FAIR plan to get coverage. It's often described as California's insurer of last resort. Created by the state in the 1960s and funded by insurance companies, FAIR offers the most bare-bones homeowners coverage. But California Insurance Commissioner Ricardo Lara, backed up by a state judge's ruling in July against FAIR, has now ordered it to offer more comprehensive policy protections, like water damage to homes, theft, and loss of property use. Lada told the California Report that the changes will tangibly benefit about 200,000 California policyholders, especially people living in wildfire-prone areas of the state. We're eliminating all this red tape, and if you're sent to the fair plan, you're going to have a comprehensive policy option that wasn't in place before. The Fair Plan's Governing Association has long argued its insurers are only required to offer basic coverage plans. No word yet about whether it will try to fight the insurance commissioner's order in court. Lily? Thanks, Saul. That's the California Report's Saul Gonzalez. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, it was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. 
Thank you for listening and thank you for your support. There have been more than 200 coronavirus outbreaks at police and fire agencies throughout L.A. County since the start of the pandemic. According to data obtained by the L.A. Times, the outbreaks account for more than 2,500 COVID-19 cases between March of 2020 and last month. And the outbreaks have continued even as more police and fire personnel have become vaccinated. In April of this year, L.A. County reported 38 COVID-19 outbreaks at public safety agencies the most in any month during the pandemic. A month later, public health officials reported 35 more outbreaks. Vaccination rates among LAPD and Los Angeles Fire Department employees have lagged behind the general population. Employees with both departments have filed lawsuits challenging a new ordinance that requires them to be vaccinated. And thousands have said they will claim either a medical or religious exemption from the mandate. COVID-19 cases among young people were increasing last month as students started the school year. Cases have since declined, but as Valley Public Radio's Mari Bolaños reports, even small COVID outbreaks at schools can have big impacts on families in rural communities. Laura Garcia stands outside her home with two of her kids and their ducks, chickens, and goats in Raisin City, a small, unincorporated community southwest of Fresno. It's a morning in early September, and she's wearing a mask because her oldest daughter, Jennifer, who attends Raisin City Elementary School, tested positive for COVID in late August. She says she reached out to other parents in her daughter's class to let them know. When I told the parents that my daughter tested positive, some of them said their children were feeling the symptoms, so they tested them as well, and they were positive. At least three students in Garcia's daughter's class tested positive for the virus. Following Fresno County Health Department guidelines, school officials sent all the kids in the class home to quarantine for nearly a week after Labor Day. The virus, of course, spread beyond the school children. In total, four of Garcia's kids contracted the virus. Garcia and her husband also got it. He works in the fields and is the family's sole provider. It affects us because he's the only one that works to pay the rent, to buy the stuff for the kids, and to pay for the bills. The Garcia family isn't the only one facing loss of income and education due to the pandemic. An estimated 44 percent of Latino parents nationwide reported an interruption in employment due to child care, according to a Kaiser Family Foundation survey published in late August. It also shows that half of Latino parents with incomes below $40,000 reported their children fell behind academically. Forty-year-old Carmen Cuatenco Leon's 13-year-old daughter is another one of the eighth graders at Raisin City Elementary School who tested positive for COVID. Cuatenco Leon is a single mother of three. She says she also had to take time off from her work in the fields to care for her children. But her biggest concern is the learning loss that her children face through the pandemic and again while quarantined. The kids are behind. They are very behind. And of course, they need to go to school. But we also need to take care of the health of our kids. Tanya Pacheco-Warner is co-director of the Central Valley Health Policy Institute at Fresno State. She says many people in rural communities have lower education levels and fewer job opportunities. She says that creates a perfect storm, making it difficult for residents to take time off of work to care for their children. We see that burden fall especially hard 
on rural families who don't have a lot of other options other than not getting an income during the time that their children have to stay home. To prevent parents from losing income while taking care of quarantined kids, Pacheco Werner says it's important that local officials collaborate on how to protect students. That's especially needed in smaller rural districts. It's going to take a state-coordinated, school-wide, school-based effort to really think through how to begin testing and surveillance in those places that simply don't have the infrastructure to do it themselves. Nearly three weeks after the Raisin City class was sent home to quarantine, Laura Garcia and Carmen Guadenco's families have recovered from their symptoms. But their kids are still recovering from the learning loss. And Garcia's husband's employer still hasn't paid him for the two weeks he was in quarantine. For The California Report, I'm Madi Bolaños in Fresno. This week, the state's second-largest school district will consider a COVID-19 vaccination mandate for eligible students and staff. The San Diego Unified School District School Board is expected to vote on the proposal tomorrow. If approved, students and staff would have to be fully vaccinated by December 20th. Right now, the district requires students and staff to show proof of vaccination or get tested weekly in order to attend classes in person. L.A. and Oakland Unified are among the school districts in the state that have already implemented vaccination mandates. Breathing in too much ozone gas is harmful to our health. Now, researchers say the health risk is even higher for older Californians who live in areas with elevated ozone pollution. They're more likely to develop type 2 diabetes even if they work hard to prevent it. KCRW's Tara Atrion reports. Researchers led by the UCLA Fielding School of Public Health say those who live in areas with high ozone levels are 1.5 times more at risk of developing diabetes, even if they follow doctor's orders by exercising more. In fact, UCLA professor and study lead Michael Jarrett says those who work out in the outdoors have an even higher risk. It, it can generate inflammation in the lung that becomes systemic, and that systemic inflammation can spill over into other major organ systems. Exposure to the gas is also found to disproportionately impact Latinx and Black populations. Researchers say policies need to be developed that reduce community ozone exposure so people can still get the health benefits from physical activity. Meanwhile, people who exercise outdoors are being urged to check smog forecasts before they head out to make sure that it's not a high ozone day. For The California Report, I'm Tara Atrion in Los Angeles. California's groundbreaking task force on reparations for black Californians wrapped up its latest meeting on Friday. KPBS race and equity reporter Christina Kim says the group is working on drafting a reparations proposal. The California task force to study and develop reparation proposals for African-Americans is a first of its kind effort to acknowledge and readdress racial injustice. Over the course of two days, experts and people who've personally experienced racism and its legacies shared with the task force. They described how slavery and housing discrimination have contributed to ongoing racial inequalities. Secretary of State Dr. Shirley Weber authored the bill that created the task force. She said that while California lauds itself on being progressive, voter suppression still impacts black Californians. There is a proposition to be placed on the ballot to, to now talk about ID voting. And we know that that's one of the new terms that's being used as a Jim Crow law, pretty much like literacy tests and everything else. The task force will meet again in October and has until 2023 to recommend a reparations proposal. For The California Report, I'm Christina Kim in San Diego. 
And that is the California Report for this Monday, September 27th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Lily Jamali. Thank you for listening. Support for the California Report comes from Water Heaters Only, specializing in the repair and replacement of water heaters since 1968. Licensed and insured, open 24 hours a day every day. Learn more at waterheatersonly.com. Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy harnesses the power of people and science to create innovative solutions for a healthy environment, just societies, and opportunities for human achievement, and Stanford Medicine, protecting your health and providing dependable care with safe in-person appointments and video visits. StanfordHealthCare.org slash AdaptingCare. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out the Bay Curious book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on the Bay Curious podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get the Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find the link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Hi there, I'm Randadid Fattah from Throughline. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. Hi, I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse, golden state. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts.